podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. It's time for the WhoCast, the Who's Place podcast for Wahoo's Hoops fans. Maybe a little too much time on your hands, but uh, this is Season 3, Episode your episode 14. I am your host, Val Prohaska. Since I can't do this on my own, you know that I'm joined by our producer, Seattle Who. And later on this evening, we're going to welcome back to uh, the WhoCast uh, locker room accesses Wonderkin Zach Carey, but uh, he'll be joining us in a little bit. So for right now, it's just me in Seattle. Welcome, Seattle. How are you? Uh, pretty good. It's it's hard to not be uh, feeling good after Saturday. Well, you know, that was a, a complete evisceration of a team that had been, you know, probably overrated as, as the best defense in the country, but still... <laughs> we shredded them, and it's, you're right. It always feels better to to watch uh, to watch that and to see that. Yeah, after watching that game and then watching what Florida State was doing to Louisville early tonight, it's hard to believe that Clemson beat Florida State. But um, you know, I, I felt good about the game going in. I, I wasn't. You did. You did. I mean, yeah. you wrote a, you did a whole piece on it saying it ain't even going to be close. Yeah. And so yeah. I, you know, I I was giving Clemson their props from seeing their Ken Palm and all that, and then I, I, when I started to do preparations for talking about them, I went and I looked at their roster, and I was like, essentially, this is the same roster as last year. They were nothing special then, and the guys that they added are certainly no better than the guys that they lost. So I didn't. At that point, I was like, meh. Well, it, I mean, we've we've I've mentioned this stat before because it's my single favorite stat about you know the Bennett era. But you know we're we're ten eleven games ahead of the entire ACC under Bennett. We don't lose these kinds of games, and you know for every every other team out there, it's a grind and it's always a grind. And we ground last year, but we don't lose these kinds of games. So yeah, Clemson can beat Florida State because Florida State's going to drop a game here or there. Louisville's going to drop games. We just don't typically drop games. We have a better track record over eight years now. Right. So, um, you know, and so, you know, we, we talked about that on, on Wahoo Wake Up. And just, you know, for those of you who haven't uh, tuned into that, you know, on game day mornings, if it's on a weekend, you know, Seattle, who and I will be doing Wahoo Wake Up at 9 a.m. And if it's during the week, it's just going to be Seattle who, because he can do this at six in the morning out on the, out on the West coast. But we were talking about that on the oh, Wahoo Wake I Up. I think we have a call coming in. Hey, all right. Good. Let's see. It says missed call, but one blah, blah, blah has joined. Hello. You've reached the, the Who's Play studio. This is Seattle Who's speaking. Hey guys. Uh, <laughs> Zach Carey. Hey Zach. <laughs> so, um, just to bring you up to speed, Val and I, we started uh, a few minutes ago when it was time, so we just kind of set the stage, and now everybody welcomes Zach Carey to the show. Yeah, well, th- thanks for having me back on. You know, I was uh, finishing up my uh, my f- five takeaways piece from the Clemson game, and then the, the Nets game just ended, and so I had to do a little bit of a, a quick recap <laughs> for that one, too, but uh, oh, okay. happy to be on. How'd Joe do? Uh, I think he finished with uh, 17, maybe 19. I, I need to look at the box score. Right. Um, but yeah, the Nets pulled a, pulled one out. Um, so that's that's good for Joe against the Bucks, who are the top two teams in the East. But uh, okay. yeah, you know, happy to talk some UVA basketball now. Cool. Well, we're glad to have you, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. So I know. Um... You know, it's funny, Val did the plus-minus, and I guess, Zach, you just finished five takeaways, and I haven't seen the article yet, but I, I did want to say one thing about Val's plus-minus. and it, it's, You did say that your minus was nitpicking because it's hard to have a minus from a game like that. I'm going to kind of sure. nitpick your, your nitpicking minus with the Jay Huff black hole on the <laughs> – the passing out of the double team. Cause what's funny was I, when I read that article, I had 
just like an hour ago, been breaking down the the video from the Notre Dame game, the the game before, and uh, Jay had made a beautiful pass out of the double team there for a wide open three. I think Casey it was one for Casey. I was yeah, like, and 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 I and I I remember that one, you know, but it seems like they're few and far between. Well, our bees don't I, get I doubled that very one often. Notre Dame, but. Well, no. It's only very recently don't. that teams have seen seen any need to double our bigs. So we um, talked about him in the post before, and you know he's he's growing in that. Uh, that's part of his evolution, you know, this fourth year. But he he really struggles, you know, and uh, so had to have had to have one thing in there. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. I mean, and they're they're. There isn't much to be negative about from that game. I guess letting Hunter Tyson go on a seven-zero run, we could we could pick on that. Yeah, end of the I mean, half, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff happens, you know. So, so, so Zach, we'll let you go. You, you have a single negative from that game? Yeah, um, you know, I think at times while the offense was um, obviously very good, that they were shooting the the lights out. I do think sometimes the execution of the schemes was a little bit sloppy, a little bit off, and, and I attribute that more to Clemson's defense. But but I do think that, that sometimes the shooting kind of bailed out poor offense. You know, there were times where just sort of Sam Hauser w- would pull up or, or, or Thomas Wittesensei would pull up, and it was like, you know, you're walking away from that possession, you're happy with the three points, but I think it, at certain points, you know, we got bailed out by that. You know, the, the triangle set, especially early, was kind of clunky with, with how physical Clemson was playing us on the inside. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the refs so were I, I uh, very lenient with Clemson. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it's hard to, as you said, it's hard to be nitpicky, and it's and it's it's a, it's probably a pretty small thing, especially considering that Clemson still is a good defensive team. So um, putting up 85 on them is never something that you can complain about. Um, but but I do think that, that it wasn't as seamless as an offensive performance, just on the execution side. Obviously, when you're making shots, everything is that much, everything looks that much better. Um, but I do think that there was a little bit of something there where you're like, you do pause sort of on, on the rewatch a couple of times and be like, all right, well, you know, we kind of got stuffed in the first 15, 20 seconds in that possess, possession, and then someone pulled up and it went in. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, I mean, that, that, that's still a small thing. And, and against a team like Clemson, you know, if you can if you can make those shots, then great. If you don't, you know, we, we still probably win pretty comfortably. Uh, but, yeah, no, that would just be my one small, maybe minus or nitpick. Were there, any, yeah. were there any plays where there were shots that you thought weren't really good takes, but that went in? Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're definitely – were um there's a difference though between a bad shot when it's the first five minutes of the game and when the team is hot right because you know you you can forgive some of that like heat checkness in the in the sort of second half with every when everything got cooking there was one shot and and i i kind of alluded to it but it was in the first half and i forget what set exactly we were running i think it was probably a spread ball screen thing and and thomas caught the ball at the top of the key and kind of jab stepped once or twice and then pulled up and it went in. But I was like, we had nothing there. Like we had nothing. And he made that shot. And, and that's, you know, when you have three point shooters, great. And it went in. And, and yeah, that was also his it. third. And that was his third in like three minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. he, he was feeling it. I mean, so it's, you know, because the first two threes he made, I mean, I was really impressed because he was carrying around screens. Like I don't, I haven't seen this season. I mean, my feeling last year was it took him a while to learn to to realize how fast and how hard he had to move, you know, as he's moving up from Jayco to, to, to this. And then once he figured out how hard he had to run is when he started, you know, shredding other teams. And, you know, then they started defending him and, you know, it kind of got muddled again. But he was running I think running this year they've really kind of hard. forgotten about him. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And can you imagine being a, an opposing coach and having a – come up with the game plan for these guys. Is this, you know, in the second half, we saw Trey Murphy show that you can't leave him 
because there was one play, it was the DeAndre Hunter th- corner three where Kihei drives in, collapses the defense, finds Murphy out in a corner, and it's just an automatic three. No, I mean when, was, when the guard, yeah, when the guards are penetrating off ball screens like like they are when Kihei and Reese are getting inside and then are making good decisions to find those shooters, and you've got Jay rolling to the hoop, so the mm-hmm. backside help is crashing down because they're worried about him penetrating them, or they're giving space on the inside because they're worried about him popping. You know, everything is going to flow that much smoother, and that's why you know you kind of look at this team and you're like, why aren't we running more ball screens? You know, and that's sort of what they went to at certain points when the the triangle three-man set wasn't as efficient. But, yeah, I mean, when this team's hitting shots, it's very difficult to guard them. Um, You know, and... and, I thought we just got a lot of good shots. I mean, we were getting... And even just little things where somebody would dribble, you know, kind of straight line, and the, the help would come just take a step toward them and... You know, they were kicking it out and and they were getting the shots up. I just saw that so many times, and it uh, it's like, what do you do as a defense? Because if you don't come help, you saw what what you know. Kihei's finishing at the rim this year is phenomenally high. Reese is good at it too. So you, now we've got two guards. You can get to the rim, so you got to help. Who do you help off? I thought the game was a another step in in Reese's growth as a player. Yeah, really absolutely. good stat I mean, line in this high, game. Yeah, and it was his highest usage percentage outside of like the William and Mary game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just pulling the numbers up now. Yeah, so he had a 21.2 uh, usage rate, and, mm-hmm. and that's you know that is the highest outside of the the. Uh, the William and Mary game, and he's only hit 20% in three games, including that, that William and Mary game. And some of that is that they, they rested Kihei and they didn't need to play Kihei um, as much. You know, he, he played under 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I think I think Reese was great, you know, especially attacking off ball screens, finding shooters. Um, you know, his passing ability sort of is very nice. He had a great alley-oop to Jay. And then in transition, you know, I think he's, our most dynamic player, like his first step, he's so quick. He's got a ton of bounce and, you know, he's mm-hmm. active and sort of like, he's that, he kind of the guy that when he's streaking down the court and it's one-on-one in transition, I'm like, Oh, he's scoring. Yeah. Like, like there's just there's really never a doubt in my mind. I'm like, he's going to finish this. Like really for nobody else in my life, like, you know, for other people, I'm like, all right, let's pull the ball out here. You know, mm-hmm. but for reason, just like, just go, man, just go. And, uh, you know, Kihei is finishing, as you said, at the rim really well. You know, Reese is shooting 59% at the rim, which for his size at this point is... Yeah, is for really a point guard, that's excellent. And Kihei is shooting 68% at the mm-hmm. rim, which is, which is crazy for his size. You know, I think he's sort of mastered that reverse layup, um, which has been really nice. And, and he's he's figured out how to how and when, probably more importantly, when to, when. to shoot... Um, yeah, I've never oh, yeah. seen that kind of improvement in that statistic. Yeah. And I've kind of tracked it at UVA for five or six years now. Um, I subscribe to hoopmouth.com, and he, he has that whole breakdown, and I just pay him every year and go check it out. And I, we've seen guards improve because, you know, London was bad at it his first year, and his senior year I think he was up over 50%, but he was a gradual climb, and – and Kihei went from like thirty something to sixty eight percent in one off season. Right. I mean, I do think that that comes with with having shooters, right? Because when when you have the shooters, then there's going to be more space. There's mm-hmm. going to be fewer people crashing down on you. Um, because there's a big difference between Brax and Key and <laughs> and frankly even Monty and and Trey Murphy and Sam Hauser. Yeah. You know, I mean, those two are, are deadly three-point shooters. The other two, Mommy can hit it, Braxton, um, and, and so so having those, those guys does make his life easier. But, yeah, I mean, his his composure in the paint is has been next level. Yeah, and, yeah, and I do... We were all hoping that... I do agree yeah. with you. You know, last year, 
where he was turning the ball over left and right. When I was breaking down the film, I would, a lot of them, I would go and look at the, the turnovers, and, and he had no options. Right. And so what, he had none. What what I yeah. came to realize is that when Kihei when Kihei is put in situation where he has no good choices, he he doesn't do very well at taking the least bad choice. Yeah. But this the and and I we saw a little bit of a throwback to that in the Gonzaga game, where he didn't have any alternatives. And. Now he does, and we see when he, you know, when he has alternatives, he makes good decisions. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what we were hoping for. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that was the whole point of of Hauser and then Murphy being able to, you know, be eligible this season, and then you throw in having Wolde Tensai. You know, so we were expecting that from the wings, but obviously, what's happened, you know, these last two games. Is you know Huff's taken what fourteen threes, yeah, in the last yeah. two games. I mean that's I mean that's monstrous for him. So then, even more than spreading out the wing, now whatever titular big the other guy the other team has, they got to come out on Huff. And so it's not even that there's space; it's it's that there's there's a hole back down under you know around the basket. Yeah, and you know it was you know he had you know Huff hit key twice or Clark twice, he hit Beekman, and then, you know, the best dunk of the season, he hit Wolde Tensai. And like, I, I didn't know Wolde Tensai had those kind of hops, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, you know, but it's it's all because Huff's taking, you know, becoming a volume three-point shooter, which is what everybody in Wahoo Nation has wanted for the last three years. Yeah. It seems like it's finally sunk in, you know. I mean, and a lot of that was also... Ten times a game. A lot of that also was Clemson's defense. I mean, they they do play a deny in the passing lanes and really press out on everybody. And, and the you know, so the counter to that is the backdoor cut. So it's it's like you know, a lot of that was that against a different defensive style. Sure, it, we wouldn't have seen that as much. But sure, again, yeah, sure. you know, he's reading the play, and uh, you know, I want to make sure that I call out. Casey Marcel, who now has had two very strong games in a row, and like he wasn't the lights out shooter this time that he was against Notre Dame, but he was effective, and he was consistently effective, and so you know now it looks like he's going to become a becoming a player this year who can be relied on, which just makes him you know, that much more effective in the offense and, and that, especially in that role of as a spacer in the three man inside motion. Cause now you know, he's, he's a real option out there. Uh, so that was really good to see. And I did see a couple of poor decisions on his part, but definitely his decision-making has improved. He showed a little bit of vision a couple of times and, you know, one or two really nice passes when he drove in, so it's, you know, we might be start, starting to see the Casey Morcel, who's a, a top 50 national, you know, player in high school. And that just will have a huge impact. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's I think, just what we missed last year. So go ahead, Zach. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I think the key for him is not to have too high of a usage um, and just sort of be able to pick his spots. Mm-hmm. Right, because this team doesn't need to rely on him. They just, you know, if he can give you that sort of like five point burst, or or he he goes, you know, he he shoots hot one, you know, one every, you know, five or ten games. That just gives you that that extra element. And if teams have to close out to him, then then that's huge alongside guys like Murphy and Hauser. Um, as long as he's just not a black hole, frankly life is so much better and then and then if he can give you more off the bounce more as a playmaker it's just an added bonus and mm-hmm. i mean it just means that all of a sudden you know you've got what like six guys who are serious serious threats on the offensive side of the ball yeah I've... <laughs> that's true i'm not sure this team can't end up being better than the the championship team. Well, 
No, I, I don't think it's out of the question, but I think you do have to put some things in the context. Like Clemson's offense is, you know, even with, you know, even if they aren't on COVID, you know, coming off the COVID pause, they're still not, um, you know, a very good offense. They're, they're bottom two or three in the ACC. Mm-hmm. They don't have a ton of threats from the guard position. It's really honor and Sims. And, and what we haven't mentioned is how well Jay Hoff played against Amir Sims. And it was something that, that you guys brought up. And I was saying like, oh, maybe have Sam Hauser on Sims. And, and uh, you know, you guys corrected me. Um you know, Jay Hop was, was great, but but I do think that you know against teams that are are, are you know obviously Gonzaga is probably the example we could give if you're talking sort of national championship aspirations. There's going to be more issues there, and and Clemson's limitations allow Virginia to do some things guarding ball screens that they've struggled to do against other teams with better guards or bigs who can actually hit threes. Um, and then on the other end, you know, they're obviously going to be they're not going to be shooting as well as they did at the volume that they shot uh, against Clemson. And, you know, I'm not saying anything, you know, uh, new here. This is all obvious stuff, but, you know, th- there's going to, there's going to be need to be some continued development from this team and, and even more meshing and gelling that, than has already occurred. Um, you know, I, I do wonder a little bit about sort of like late game stuff because we really haven't seen this team in that many close games yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame was kind of close, but we pulled away. Kent State and San Francisco are probably the only two examples you can point to, and those games feel like they were forever ago. I know. And so I do sort of wonder. They were. Who, who are you? You know, yeah. And, and it just sort of like, what's the go-to look? Is it Kihei in a ball screen? Is it Sam in the mid-post? Sort of what can we rely on late in the game? And, and hopefully we'll get some more answers. And you know what my answer to that is, Zach? Yes. What's that? Yes. <laughs> yes to both. Sure. It's what this team can rely on. It, it, I I always I get amused when when people say that. Well, you know who like. I think uh, you guys an example. Of this was the Nets article. Who's who's the third the number three player on the Nets and. Well, it's kind of a weakness that, you know, we don't know who the third, the number three player is. Well, if your three through five players are all about the same and they're all the level of, of a three, that's a good thing. And if you can't say, all right, who's the go-to guy because you've got so many options to go to, that's a good thing. That means you have lots of go-to guys. And that's that's why I think this, this team might actually wind up being better than the championship team because the offensive talent is deeper. And there's just so many guys that you can just go to that you you can pretty much go to anybody just based on the situation and 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 the opponent. You know what does the opponent give up? Okay, well this guy is great at that, so he's our go-to guy. This one, and um, you could have six different guys be your your go-to guy in, in six different games and. Nobody will be able to say, well, who's their... Everybody will be like, well, who's their go-to guy? Well, yeah. And yeah, Sam in the mid-post is, is as close to automatic as I've ever seen. I mean, the dude is uncanny. And, you know... I don't... Kihei this year has been with the ball in his hands what, you know, we kind of thought he could be and struggled to be last year. Um. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Like, like those, those are all very good points, and, and the having the options is always um, preferable to not having options. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I do think I do think uh, there, there's a valid question of okay, what happens when you come up against sort of a Carson Edwards? Because you know that it's not, and not to say that anyone is going to shoot like Carson Edwards in the tournament, but if you're talking NCAA tournament, which if you're talking comparisons to 2019, you know, we're talking final four run here. Mm-hmm. We're talking final four run. Someone's getting hot. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know quite yet. Like, I, I'm not confident saying that we have the offensive firepower to trade shots with someone like a Corey Kispert, like a Gonzaga, 
when when a, a team that good is hitting shots. Right? No, no, no. I I know the responses. Look look at Saturday, um, and I and I think that that's absolutely fair. Um, I just I'm still uncertain because you're not hitting that many. You're not hitting, and a lot of this just comes down to, to degrees and percentages. But you're not going to hit that volume of threes all that often. You can't rely on that type of performance. Um, and, and, you know, it is funny, just as a side note, like I, I saw um, shoot, who's, uh, Josh Passner um, saying that UVA could would have beaten Gonzaga on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't mean to say a new topic, but like, and I'm kind of contradicting my, my um, uncertainty about this team there, but like, I honestly, like, they probably would have beaten Gonzaga on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Like just in, just in my opinion, like, and this is contradicting my statement of uncertainty about this team's potential in March. Um, but if you just look at them, so they, they scored, they put up 1.47 points per possession against a very good Clemson defense. They're not the best defense in the country, but they're a very good, a very good defense. Um, the other side of the ball, I think you can kind of throw out just because Clemson off Clemson's offense is, is not very good. Um, but if you look, so Gonzaga put up like 1.4.2 points per possession against us. Um, and that was obviously on, on a lot more possessions, but it's just like, if, if we shoot like that, we can beat Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. But separate of that. Look, Gonzaga is not going to play at that level very often. No, they played no, a perfect game. They that was one of the best performances by one team that I have ever seen. Yeah. And they were flawless. And we still hung 75 on them, you know, so. Yeah, every mistake we made, they jumped on it. And, you know, we were nearly at that level on Saturday. We were close. Um, But, uh, yeah. And especially on the offensive end, I think I think their their defense against us was at a different level than our defense was on Saturday. That to me, that's the difference. Yeah, you know they played the best defense of the season in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah, and I think also you point to the fact that Gonzaga was at likely at their best, as good as they'll be all season, mm-hmm. just, you know, separate of the hot shooting, um, as they'll be all season, because that's sort of what Gonzaga has to do, um, just with, with their conference. And, right. and not to knock that like many people do. Um, I think Gonzaga's one of the two best teams in the country, and, and, and that's not a new take. But, um, you know, there, there's a reason Tony Bennett scheduled that game, right? And it, and it, and it was to expose flaws and to – make this team learn and grow and develop. Um, and obviously, you know, a, a potential second matchup with Gonzaga is, is sort of, you know, dreaming. And if we could actually get to that point, that would be phenomenal. Um, you know, I think the question of this team versus 2019 is, like, I, I still think you have to, we have to wait and see on that. I think there's potential there, but, you know, it's still just so early and we've only beaten one good team. You know what I mean? And, um, but you know, I, I'm really right. I'm just like, I'm looking at the roster and the depth of talent, and especially the depth no. of offensive ability on this roster. Uh, where I think we forget how questionable it was once you got past the big three. Um, you know, if, if Braxton Key doesn't get his waiver that year, if Kihei Clark doesn't come in and play at a level far above his recruiting rankings, that team's going nowhere. Yeah, but this because, team also doesn't have. No, I'm with you. So, I, I, but you know, this, Trey Murphy this is, is the is, third game. Though this was the third game that we've shot over fifty percent from three, um, at you know a high volume of threes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did it in the very first game. We did it against Notre Dame, and then we did it, and then we did it against Clemson. Now we've also had five games where we've shot three oh eight or less. You know, so and you know what makes of, this you know, team so sick offensively is that our three best, no, our three best three point shooters are all six eight or taller. Yeah, it's a lot helps. easier for for a guy that 
that tall to get his shot than for someone who's six three. That's true. I do, I do think that you know you can look at sort of the, some of the more recent success, and you can point to Jay Huff's fourteen threes in the last two games. I mean, that's obviously an emphasis, an encouragement mm-hmm. from the coaching staff to shoot off the catch, to shoot on the catch, um, and and like that type of adjustment. And, and I I mentioned it in an article I wrote about him actually as sort of a distributor against Clemson and a couple of tweets like that type of decision to to go to him and say, you know, you need to take those type of shots is why this team has such a high ceiling because they've always been talented. We've always known them to be talented. It was just sort of, can they put it together? Can they, you know, sort of assemble the right schemes and, and, and be able to take advantage of all this talent. And, and that's why, you know, I've been playing devil's advocate a little bit, but you know, that's why they have such high potential. That's why now that they're sort of finding their groove in these right schemes and, and Jay is taking those threes, and all of a sudden Sam goes four for five from three, and then Waldo comes off the bench and he's hitting. Um, you know, just everything opens up when this team can be put in the right situations because having the, your three best three-point shooters being six, eight, or taller um, is great because they can get shots off, you know, more effectively, quicker, not not, not so much quicker, but it, it just, it's just easier for them to get shots off that are uncontested. Mm-hmm. Um but it's so hard to scheme them open, right? And point it made. Um, and now that they're start, starting to scheme them open and they're sort of finding the right steps to get them in the positions to succeed, the, the sky is the limit. Yeah, I think I, I really saw... Um, I'm trying to think... Because, you know, I just broke down the, the Notre Dame video... I think Friday. So I was kind of watching that and watching Clemson at the same time. And both were very good offensive performances, but I, I, you're really starting to see a, a comfort with these players, with each other, where they're starting to get more creative with each other. Cause they're really starting to figure out how they mesh with each other. Like you were saying. And um, it, you just start to see the realization of, of, what I was seeing in the preseason of just all of the options, all of the the different ways that you can attack. It's like literally whatever the defense does, you have a counter for it. And the players and the coaches are starting to really get a facility with that. I can't wait to see it in action. I you know, I know the season is what it is. The the schedule that we've played, it is what it is. But the numbers that this team is putting up, they don't lie. And it, they're putting up some unprecedented um, offensive numbers for Virginia. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, so the, the, the most basic stat was, you know, that, you know, in Bennett's 11 years, what, twice? He's had five players scoring double figures mm-hmm. in the same game, and that's happened three of the last four games. Yeah. You and know, we're, averaging, I mean, just... we're averaging over 70 points per game easily. We've scored over 80 points you know, twice in a row now. Well, 80 points. 80 points twice in a row now in ACC play, which we don't do. Right. It's, <laughs> this team really, it's kind of reminded me of the 2013-14 team that looked so bad in the non-conference and then really ripped through the ACC um, had a lot of blowouts like this, and really none of our games so far have been close. No, I haven't haven't sweat anything since Gonzaga. Yeah, I know we don't we don't play Wednesday because NC State's they have big problems, and we're supposed to play Georgia Tech next Saturday, and that'll be an interesting game. I know they're Georgia Tech's just missed their last three games. 
So if they've got a game on Wednesday against Clemson. Okay. But, you know, they've they've, they've, Ooh, they've that'll be interesting. since January 3rd. Wow. You're right. It will be an interesting one, yeah. And for, they were doing well. Yeah, well, they were. I mean, well, they, they, they got – they lost to Georgia State and Mercer their first two games. And then mm-hmm. they beat Kentucky. And granted, everybody's beaten Kentucky. But at the time they beat Kentucky – that was still a big, you know, that was a scalp. Right. And then, right. you know, they've, they've won five and they won five in a row. And now they've, it's been, you know, 15, 13, 14 days since they've played a game. That's a shame. So, you know, yeah, well it is. I mean, but you know, it's not like it didn't happen to Clemson. It's not like it didn't happen to us. You right. know? Everybody's, everybody's at, and it's happening to the NC state right now. I mean, everybody's going to pause at some point, you know, we just, all want to get our paws out now, you know, not be paused, you know, when tournament time runs around. Yeah. So, so Zach, you were talking earlier in, in the week about some tweaks, changes, kind of a, a evolution that you've seen in the coaching. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, and, and this is stuff that, that I've covered that, I know you guys have covered it, that a lot of people have covered, but it's just on a, on a large scale, um, I'm seeing more from this staff in terms of just adjusting to their personnel and then you know, sort of catering to um, how the opponent is going to play, and that's on both sides of the ball. Um, and obviously it helps when you have more options offensively and more, a more versatile sort of group. But if you just you know, look at sort of the defense, right, we've seen some variations with the ball screen defense and sort of Jay Huff being able to allow to play drop coverage because he's not great, um, you know, out on hedging and then having to recover. And then, you know, you're, you still have Francisco Cafaro doing some hedging. And then, you know, sort of where I sort of realized, I was like, gosh, they're just they're thinking about this. And, and it's not unusual for a college coaching staff. It's just that they're, they're more willing to make changes on the fly in games. Um, you know, so like in the second half against Clemson, Jay Huff was hedging out on high ball swings at the top of the key because they realized that the Clemson bigs weren't going to hurt them um, off slips or pops mm-hmm. and that they could crack down off the Clemson guards because they weren't worried about Clemson hitting shots from the perimeter. Right. And so it's just sort of little things like that. It's going into the Clemson game and saying, Hey, they're going to try and, um, prevent passes on the perimeter play, sort of um, you know, just just prevent defense to make those adjacent passes more difficult, sort of clog up the offense. So, hey, now that Jay shot like eight threes against Notre Dame, we're going to tell him keep shooting the ball when you catch it. So we're going to make the Clemson bigs come out and play on you. Then we'll run him sort of at the, at the point and then run backdoor cuts off of him. Um, and that'll sort of make Clemson be more honest in their perimeter defense. And it just sort of, little things like that. And even though they only ran Jay sort of in that spot four or five times, it made Clemson be more honest and more straight up with their defense. And it's mm-hmm. just sort of being able to recognize because this, this team, this roster is so different from other Bennett teams. Jay Huff is an anomaly mm-hmm. in the Bennett. Sam Hauser too, frankly, Trey Murphy, probably your, your best comp is Dre, but he's a better shooter at a higher volume than Dre was. Um, obviously, he's not the playmaker or the physical. Right. Uh, doesn't have the physicality that Dre did, but this team is just so different. And it's it's great to see them be willing to change things up and to change things up depending on on the opponent. Um, and, and it just, you know, it just sort of adds that level of comfort. Like, the coaching staff is going to get it right eventually. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Just as the team needs time to gel with, with each other, the coaching staff in the early season needed time to figure out their roster and what's going to work and how can they adjust on the fly in pregames? How can they cater to their personnel? And, you know, a big probably thing that, that Bennett and Bennett's mentioned a couple of times that they lost out on was that the trip overseas, I believe they were planning on going somewhere in Europe. Um, just to be able to see the team sort of in competition, and obviously that's not ECC competition, but it's still scrimmages against outside outside opponents. Right. Um, and now we're starting to see post Gonzaga, we're starting to see them change things up, and and it's you know 
it's just great seeing it and it increases the potential for this team because as you know because as you said it's like when, when you look at the skill on this roster it's like it's just it's eye-popping um in so many different ways and it's so different from other bad teams and it was just kind of kind of come down to how can they make it work and the coaching staff is is proving that they can make it work no matter the opponent no matter sort of how we're playing uh, no matter the the opposing schemes they're going to find ways to to just make it happen and and that's what was really encouraging that's what kind of struck me on my second or third rewatch um <laughs> late saturday night sunday morning and, and i was just you know I, it just it's just so encouraging to see and, and you know it's it's not revolutionary to say tony bennett and his staff are are a great group um it's just really nice to see with this team yeah and i think what's what's changed with Tony in the last few years is that he's become more adaptable. Yeah. And he's become a little more flexible on some things. He, he's, he's, I think he's starting to evolve out of being a system coach and into being, we're not yeah. starting. It, it, it started a couple of years ago, but he's taken another step in this evolution from being a system coach to being a coach of an elite team. Yeah. And it's a different kind of coaching. And, you know, and more and more, a lot of the things that announcers and commentators will say about our team are inaccurate because they were like, Jay Bill still says, yeah, yeah. Jay Bill still says like last year he did a game and you know, Virginia, they automatically double the post. No, they don't. And they haven't done that for years. Now we actually rarely double the post. And that's just an example. And, you know, less and less, there, there's, I think it was a, a year or two, a couple years ago, we really weren't playing the pack line because we had, we had pushed our defense out. And even now we're starting to play uh, some of the things you noticed, Zach, but like people are talking about our on-ball defense, what a pack line is really all about, off-ball defense and Tony's system was always off ball screening and now we're seeing ball screens and, and these other things. And he's just, he's adapting. And, and I, you know, I, I probably noticed the pattern back in the late nineties and I, from having watched a number of coaches come from nowhere and become elite, elite programs. And, all of them, they were known for something. And then once they were at that top level for a few years, they didn't do that anymore. They just basically coached the same basic style, um, but they would, and, and like you're talking about, they would adapt to their roster. Whereas Tony was a system coach where he would adapt his roster to his system. Now he's adapting his system to his roster. And what's the difference? Well, you've got a couple of elite recruiting classes. You know, now you're not the plucky little underdog who has to try to hang with the, the more talented team. Now you're the one that everybody's trying to, um, you know, really prepare for. And, and you've got the great players. And also it's a different way of – it's a different task for a coach. And I think he was a little slow to, to adapt to it, but he, now he has. And, uh, and it's, it's sure. great to I mean, watch. he unveiled and scrapped the five-out offense, you know. And <laughs> yeah. That's, who does that, you know? I mean, bring it in without any fanfare and then let it exit without, any, you know, without much fanfare, you know. And, and we're still and, seeing elements of it. I think sure, sure, of course he saw things in it that worked, and that's like the Hauser in the mid-post and the Kihei in the mid-post. Those things came out of that five out. Oh, yeah. He's kept that. Just like when he, when he did the, in 2019, when he combined the blocker mover and the, and the continuity ball screen, by the end of the year they were kind of doing a mishmash. They, they'd kind of flow from one into the other. He's kind of, he's become a coach who does that. Yeah. Well, and that just proves your point. I mean, that 
was not what I was expecting him to do, you know, this season or, or last season or two seasons ago. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we ran a, won a national championship out of it two years ago, and, and we've got an offense that, as Zach said, you know, one point, almost one and a half points per possession. Yeah. I mean, that's godlike. You know? Hey, give him credit. You know, Dick, Dick Bennett was saying this years ago. He said, you know, he said Tony is is a more creative coach than he ever was. And he, uh, I remember reading him saying that that Tony wasn't uh, trying to, I, I lost the words, but that basically that, you know, Tony was a more creative offensive coach, offensive mind than, than he had shown. And Dick was right, mm-hmm. and it it's get you know going to be fun to see going forward because there's going to be a lot of talent here next year too. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm going to try to watch Clemson and Georgia Tech on Wednesday. Hopefully, they'll get to play. I want to get a chance to look at Georgia Tech because um, they, you know, they're well. They were they were my preseason sleeper, which you know there were lots of. I was on the bandwagon, so mm-hmm. I, not like I got any uh, got any props for <laughs> in Georgia <laughs> Tech, but um, you know it, it'll it will be fun to see. And you know I have I had Wednesday night blocked off change my work schedule, you know, to be able to do that. And now we don't have a game. So I'll be joining you watching that game, (laughs) you know, to, to, to see what, uh, to see what it looks like. And, you know, we'll scout them just like, uh, just like Bennett and his, and his, and his troops will do. Right. (laughs) You know, that's right. But not nearly as well. No, of course not. (laughs) I'm just going to watch the game. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the one thing I, I, I've said many times that the Gonzaga game didn't bother me, and it, it but the one thing that did bother me out of that game that kind of pissed me off was after the game, I felt like I had done a better job scouting and being up on Gonzaga than our coaching staff did. Because watching, it seemed like we didn't know what they were going to do. Like, I don't know, I... We just didn't look. Gonzaga was way more prepared for us than we were for them, and that was very true. Like all the things that they did, I had seen, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm not like. So I was a little. I just felt like we we the, as much as the players got outperformed, that's how badly our coaches got outperformed. Mm-hmm. But so the, how often do you see Gonzaga out there? I mean, do you watch them five, six times a year or just? No, I look, Zach, I spent a few hours breaking them down in preparation for doing that Wahoo wake up. I mean, right, okay. I don't watch them. I don't like them. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of time to watch teams other than UVA. Um, I'm actually make, trying to make a special point of it now because hey the, I want to see some of these teams and um, so I you know I, I don't see Gonzaga that often and hey you know Zach you kind of brought this up earlier <laughs> this is one year UVA fans have no business talking shit about the West Coast Conference because we're 0-2 against the West Coast Conference this year <laughs> and 7-0 and or 8-0 against everybody else that's a very good point that's a very good point <laughs> uh, alright so I think we've uh, hit this one to uh, to death. We will be here Saturday morning uh, with Wahoo Wake Up. Yes. Will you be able to join us, Zach? Yeah, sure. If you're happy. I'm going to put you on the spot. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I hope so, to have uh, a little more. Be... I hope to have a little more video for that one, so that people don't have to spend the whole time looking at our ugly mugs. <laughs> and I'm not yeah, talking about my coffee mug. My, uh, <laughs> yeah, my coffee but, mug is uh, the most attractive mug on there. But that's live at 9 a.m. So you can yep. join us uh, as we're as we're recording, watching it live. 
and uh, Seattle figured out how to uh, save it. So it is at our, uh, it is at the Who's Place YouTube channel. You just go in and type, who, you know, Who's Place, and our channel will pop up, and you can catch that even if you've got to be middle of the day. Yeah, I'm to, starting uh, to put them to over catch on. Our preview. I'm starting to get them over on the regular site too for archives. So if you wanted to go back and see it later. Yeah, so you can see whether or not we're we're making accurate predictions or not. So I thought but we I, nailed uh, it you know, Saturday. Well, you I gotta did. Say, and, and I think I we nailed to, it. To mention that, because you did say, you know, I was worried about how well Sims was going to play. I mean, I I still think he's a stud, even after even after Saturday's game. But you did reference Seattle that you know in last year's meetings, you know, Huff handled Sims pretty well, and we were sort of opining as to whether or not, you know, who was going to draw the the initial assignment on Sims. <laughs> they put Huff on him right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And he just, he just bullied Sims. I mean, Sims was one for nine with for two points. Yeah. And when you, when you can take out your, take out your opponent's best player almost effortlessly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, was, it was not going to be a good game for him. It's kind of, kind of poignant for me because I have a soft spot for, Amir Sims, because you know he's a Fluvanna kid, and I lived there for many years. And um, kids went to my kid went to school there, and I coached there, um, you know, for a few years. So it was, I, I always like I'm. I was really sad we didn't have a scholarship for him when he was coming out because he wanted to come to UVA, and um, but we just didn't have a scholarship. And then he went to Clemson, so I've you know really happy with his success, and it's just it's just a little bittersweet, you know. But hey. Sure, and he's a good guy, and I mean, I, yeah. I like him too. I mean, he mm-hmm. was my—I mean, we—he was pretty much a unit. Well, I don't know if he was unanimous, but he was the who's place, you know, preseason first team All ACC player. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, yeah, I mean, we, we all like him and respect his game. <clears throat> Just you know, don't want him to play well against us. But, you know, <laughs> let him uh, let let him destroy somebody else. But uh, anyway, you know, congratulations, Seattle. You you, you did nail that one. Thanks. And and I thought that was ultimately, you know, I, I could I gave Huff my man of the match award, which I okay. don't normally do, but it was just he just shut him down. It was the game was easy because Clemson couldn't do anything. Yeah. And the one guy who could bail them out never even came close to bailing them out. So I was yeah. most impressed with Huff then. So we hope to have further insights for you next Sat this Saturday for Wahoo Wake Up. Nine o'clock Eastern. All right. So well, thanks that, for coming on, Zach. I think we'll we'll say you do. Yeah, Zach. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for guys. Thanks for having me, guys. A lot of fun. The late night, uh, late night discussion. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> not not so late for Seattle, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good point. All right. Well, we'll catch you guys uh, later. Wahoo! Right. Wahoo!